Welcome to the GB Sports Performance Podcast with me, Grace Brown. This podcast is all things sports, performance and fitness, and I'll be interviewing industry experts to help shed some light on these topics. For more information, you can find me at Grace Brown Fitness on socials. To Hello and welcome to the GB Sports Performance Podcast with me, Grace Brown. And today I've got an exciting guest that many of the tag rugby, uh, t- oh, t- I was about to say tag rugby teams, but definitely the ch- tag rugby world will know. And that is referee Dom Collingwood. And I've got him today to discuss all things tag rugby, World Cup, and also a bit about what he does outside of tag rugby. Um, how are you today, Dom? I'm absolutely fantastic, Grace. Thank you. Excellent. So before we start, um, and you tell us a bit more uh, about yourself, um, I have got, just to remind us at the end, we've got some questions from Instagram that I put a box in. So just a little reminder there. And Let's actually just get straight into it. Sod that. Let's go. Tell me a bit about yourself, um, your kind of journey in tag rugby and how you started your or co-founded your company, Fanzo. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, needless to say, you know, let's just start off with thank you very much for, for, for having me. I don't think when I was having a conversation with a man that some people might know, Tarek York, uh, in the uh, the upper room of Fibbers sometime in 2013. I certainly didn't imagine that 10 years later I'd be on a podcast talking about being a, a tag rugby referee and going to World Cups and so on. So, you know, be careful what you wish for in, in life. Um, but look, it's it's so nice to be here with you. And thank you so much for, for having me. Just to start off with, with tag, well, I suppose the two things are actually in, interlinked, tag and, and fanzo. So some of you might have heard of a company called Match Pint, which is the company that I founded with my co-founder, Leo McLehose in 2011. Um, that company is now called Fanzo. And uh, Leo and I were at school together. Uh, we then went separate ways for university, but then came back together to really turn what had been a university project in his degree in business and finance and economics at Manchester and to turn that project into a business. Uh, when we both left university and the whole gesture of that business is about bringing people together to enjoy sport at its very best surrounded by friends family fellow fans in pubs bars restaurants fan zones all around the world and so in 2011 we were working out of leo's basement flat in islington trying to cobble together a penny here a pound there for the daily croissant on my way in my commute over from camden and his older brother who was also living in in the flat uh, had started playing tag rugby a little bit earlier this is in 2013 mm. and so when when Leo and I were were, were were sort of huddled around the dining table trying to work out what the hell we were doing starting this business and how we were going to go about it um Tim his brother said why don't you come down on Monday to Paradise Park and come play tag rugby with me and a couple of my my mates and I think it must have been I don't know one of the first five or six leagues in london i think it started in finsbury park mm. in 2009 and it really went from there uh the, the tag the tag journey that's how how i got involved immediately loved it i i had been a sports mad 
since being a kid and had really, really enjoyed rugby at school and at university, but didn't really want to sign up for a team that risked breaking my leg um, or turning up with, you know, battered and bruised bodies. I'm sure that's how a lot of people get into tag. And I just love the game. I love the structure of it. I love the space. I really enjoyed the skill set that was available. It was really fun. It was really social. And so that's how, how we got into it. That is uh, quite funny because I started tag rugby in 2013 also and uh, played at Fivers and remember that pub very well. So we would have crossed paths even if I didn't really know you then <laughs> many a times. Because did you play for Fivers or did no, you just I, kind of... I played for Match Pipe, but I'm pretty sure I remember you sort of just absolutely burning me on the wing to a few times. <laughs> potentially, potentially. I mean, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I just could catch a ball and run at that point. Um, but yeah, I played for Fibbers then as well. So we definitely would have crossed paths back then as well. Um, okay, that's really great. So I always ask um, all my interviewees that um, this question and... Um, we don't have to go too deep into it because I think it's going to come up a bit with some of the questions that I've got for you is what is great about what you do and what do you find difficult about what you do? It can be tag and fanzo or both. It's a great question. I, I think in terms of what's great about what I do, there's probably a lot of overlap between refing and running a business. And there are lots of different things that I might include in that. You know, I think, first of all, both are linked to a major passion point of mine, which is sport. Mm. So the fact that, you know, I'm able to spend all of my working day and then a lot of my non-working evenings in sports, playing sport, talking about sport, watching sport is a joy and something that I think I take for granted sometimes too much. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's has just this amazing capacity to bring people together. As I said, whether that's playing, watching, talking. So the fact that my life revolves so much around that is, is, is just an amazing joy and privilege. And I know that there's so many people for whom that is not the case. You know, you find mm. yourself doing work that you're doing you know you're working to play or you're working to live and, and actually you're not that into to what it is that you're doing so the fact that pretty much everything that I do in riffing and and, and fanzo is linked to a major passion point is is amazing but I think on a more practical kind of day-to-day -day level you know both of them and, it, and this might sound slightly surprising from a referee's perspective mm. but you know both of them involve an enormous amount of teamwork I'm sure that we'll talk today about Mm. It, to some extent my approach to refing and I'd be really interested to hear about your perception as a player of of refs as well but you know I, I like to see my role as a referee as being part of a team of 17 people that are on a tag pitch two teams of eight and me uh, sometimes a team of 19 when we've got touch judges as well who are there to try and create the best experience for, for everyone involved and actually working with players, working with touch judges, working with other referees who, mm. you know, we I think credit to, to Dave Shipley and now Luke um, Doe, who've been running the referee program at, at TAG. There's now a really strong team ethic amongst the referees, which is mm. fantastic. But actually just working with players, being able to work with other people to collaborate and deliver an amazing experience is, is great. Mm. That's pro probably the second thing. And then I think probably the third thing, which is just uh, definitely transcends both, is seeing people develop and improve and evolve. And that happens 
at work where, for example, you know, today I'm working with, you know, the most incredible woman in my team who's been with us for the last six, maybe seven years called Claudia, joined us in her early 20s without much experience. And to see her now running our biggest partnerships globally and being an absolute boss woman who essentially tells me what to do most of the time, to see that development with someone at work has been incredible. And, and likewise, you know, we talked just now about, you know, playing for Fibbers and, and Match Pie in 2013 in Paradise Park and then going for chicken and chips afterwards. Mm. You know, to see people like yourself and a lot of those players, and I look particularly at kind of the men's 30s and the women's 30s and women's 35 teams <laughs> that are going out to the World Cup in Limerick this year, a lot of those players have been involved in tag for the last 10 years. And to see their development from... Joking with Al Davies, who who's obviously one of the co-founders of Tritag Rugby, mm. the other day, just reminiscing about the 2011 uh, test series between England and Australia. <laughs> and I think you can still find it on YouTube, but looking at the quality of the tag then to now, some of the, the, the guys and girls playing in those games are still involved now. And even though their bodies might not be quite as athletic as they maybe were 10 years ago, the level of play and the development and evolution of, of their skill set is amazing. So to be able to watch that and witness that on a weekly basis mm. um, with then those tentpole moments of World Cups where you look at someone like Dan Ampor, who, you know, was quite new to the GB setup. I remember when he went to, I, I think, the 2018 World Cup. I think one yeah, yeah, he did most improved player. So now to see him five years later winning best on ground at nationals you know running teams you know not just being a bit part player and that's just one example and mm. I can choose many many other of those but to be able to watch a player actually now commanding a game of tag at a very very high level mm. who was still seemingly quite a beginner five mm. years ago at his first world cup that, that kind of stuff is is amazing which applies obviously then to, to referees as well you know knowing mm. now that we've got um, we're taking six referees to to Limerick um, for the World Cup. We took three in 2018, three in 2015. I, I honestly think we could, you know, we have the talent to take eight or ten mm. um, to Limerick, and and that's obviously um, amazing in terms of a depth perspective. So to see referees develop as well um, has been amazing. So that's yeah. I mean, I've only covered what's great, um, <laughs> but, but, but there's a, there's a, there's a lot that covers yeah. covers covers both there. Um. <laughs> In terms of what's difficult, it's also probably the same for both, and it's very personal, which is learning to just leave my ego at the door um, or at the sideline, not bring my own preconceptions, prejudices, uh, either onto the pitch or into the meeting room or onto a Zoom call, and really try to be present and to listen and to empathise with either players, other referees, colleagues, clients, customers, users, trying as much as possible to take myself out of my own head and try to put myself in other people's shoes or see the world through other people's eyes is, is an, you know, I mean, that is a daily challenge um, mm -hmm. that I have. And I, I'm never going to be able to do that effortlessly. Um, but it's incredibly rewarding when when able to do it. But that, that's the thing that I think I probably find the most difficult. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that it is hard. <laughs> I always say I could never be a ref, and I don't think I'd be a very good ref. <laughs> Anyhow, um, 
going into some of the specifics now, um, we kind of know how you started in tag rugby, um, but did you actually start refing from the start? And um, what kind of other sports did you play? Obviously, it sounds like you played rugby. Um, did you ref any other sports previous to tag or alongside tag at all? There's two, two things I'd say there. Um, and again, one is very linked to, to Fanzo uh, or match part of the time. Mm. So we'd, we'd been playing since 2011. I started refing in tag because in 2013, myself and Leo ran out of money and we weren't able to pay ourselves um, for about two months in the summer of 2013. And I really needed a way to pay rent. So um, I was, you know, as I say, up in Fibbers having a, in, in Highbury, having a chat with Tarek who just refereed the game and I asked him whether or not he got paid to ref and he said yeah I do I get a tenner a game I said that sounds fantastic how many games can you referee a week and we worked out there about four leagues very quickly I did the maths and worked out that I could probably pay my rent for the next two months by by doing some tag refereeing ah, and, and that was... I remember Tarek as well ah, so yeah. good. Um, <laughs> I so that's how it started. And and really, the, you know, there wasn't much intention long term to, to, to be involved as a referee. It was it was just a, a stopgap. But I loved it. You know, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, opportunities became available very quickly and learned from some amazing um, mentors. I mean, they might not have seen themselves as mentors, but certainly Steve... Um, Barry and, and Mark Lee were the two people that I kind of really mm. modelled my my refereeing on and, and Phil Brown uh, as well. And yeah, I loved it. And I suppose one of the reasons why I loved it was because when I, when I look at it, although I hadn't done any refereeing in anything else, when I look at it, I absolutely love stuff like after dinner games. And I love finding loopholes and I love like playing the rules to such an extent that I get an advantage. So mm. I've, I've sort of be, been a lover of not rules in a sense of, uh, mm. you know, it's not like I love the law, but it, it, because I like like being a goody mm. two shoes and, and, and making mm. sure that everything's right. But I, I love the sort of creativity that one takes to a closed solution. So here are a set of rules. Here's a box in which you have to play. Now, within these rules, how do you play? How do you get advantages and all that sort of stuff? So I've always been really, really interested in rules and in games. So it's perhaps no surprise that I enjoyed refereeing tag when I when I got involved. Mm. Um, and it allowed me to stay active. You know, you asked about sports. You know, I played a lot of rugby, played a lot of hockey, played a lot of cricket when I was growing up. And tag just seemed to be you know a wonderfully competitive social athletic skillful game that mm. i was also able to get the best seat in the house as a referee to to to, to observe yeah perfect there we go awesome um what um i've put here what's your kind of refing background we've kind of covered a little bit of how you've got into it um but when did you decide that you thought oh i'd like to ref like at a world cup for example, for 2015 and 2018? I think I remember, you know, I'd, I'd heard about this guy who I'd never met, um, but I'd heard about this guy, Ben Durston, 
who I think had gone out to the 2012 World Cup, which was the first world, the first tag World Cup in mm. New Zealand. So I'd heard about that and I was kind of aware that that was a, a sort of possibility. I think, I think in 2014, I think Australia had a tour uh, that came over. Yeah, they did. Uh, and, and Ireland were here and we had a kind of bit of a try series. Yeah. And I refed a couple of those games and, and, and really enjoyed that. And then I can't remember actually whether it was, I think it was Phil Brown rang me up one day and said, look, you know, there's a World Cup taking place um, later this year. This would have been in early 2015. Mm. We'd really love to send a couple of referees. Would you be interested? And I really didn't really hesitate. I, you know, I mean, mm. it, it was a great opportunity to go to Australia mm. uh, and a great opportunity to catch up with friends that had moved over there great opportunity to do a bit of traveling and a really good opportunity to have something to aim for and mm. you know I think anyone that listens to your podcast that is athletic and trains you know I think as much as we would love to just have this uh you know permanent uh motivation where we just spring out of bed every morning without any requirement for goals and we just go great i'm going to go and run 5k or i'm going to go and do a hit session or i'm going to go and lift some weights you know the reality is that i think a lot of us are goal oriented and this was a really good way of making sure that i was going to keep fit um, you know i used to talk about in the early days about refereeing being like being paid to go to the gym um, because I was getting paid to run around rather than having to pay to do that. Mm. And so it was, it, you know, it, it just felt like a really, really good opportunity. And so that was 20, 2015. And, and then, the you know, similar call came in 2018, asking whether or not I was happy to go out again. And having had my experience in 2015, just jumped at the, the opportunity. Yeah, awesome. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. I I do find, especially with the people that I work with as well, it's a performance goal of sorts really helps and that can be anything from obviously a competition um is even very highly motivating but even just trying to uh, get stronger by trying to aim for a certain weight to lift or you know make that gb team or you know or complete that half marathon what have you really does uh you know help motivate definitely for sure so in terms of prepping for something like the world cup um uh probably especially for 2018 because you had probably a little bit more or you've been to 2015 right i really want to improve this that or whatever what was your preparation for these world cups was there a particular fitness thing that you did or um yeah, what kind of physical and even probably mental practice did you you need to do or felt like you needed to do? Mm. I learned so much in 2015. Mm. Uh, and actually, I learned as much as I learned in 2015, I probably learned the same amount in 2018. And, and, mm. and so, I'd, you know, maybe talk about both of, both of them. And actually, those two have now informed to a large extent how I'm thinking about 2023 yeah so you know 2015 I think I, I had no idea quite how big tag was in Australia yeah so in 2015 I thought because I'd refed Super League finals in London I basically thought that I'd refereed at the top of the game 
And so I turned up in 2015 thinking that actually there wasn't much that I needed to do. You know, I needed to know the rules and everything like that. But, you know, at, at the time, and, and I say this in the nicest possible way, you know, I, I think the standard of refereeing in GB in 2014, 2015 was not by any means exceptional. We, we were mm. mainly player refs. Mm. We didn't have people who, and I'm talking about like really, you know, there was really basic stuff mm. that I learned in 2015. And, and I learned them because one of the brilliant things they do at World Cups is they're really, really good at giving you assessments. So I think in 2015, I think I did 13 games over three days. And for two of them, I had a dedicated assessor there uh, watching my game, taking down notes in a number of different categories, much like you guys will do for, mm. you know, for when you're playing. And then at the end of the game, I'd go away and I'd sit down with them and they would talk me through the game and what I did well and what I didn't do well and what I could work on. I just had never thought about this stuff because it's, you know, also you've never played in front of crowds, you never played in a live stream or you never reffed in front of those. So these things like hand signals and whistle tone were just completely, you know, they had not even come into my purview uh, mm -hmm. as a referee up to that point because there was never a crowd watching. So actually you, you could just, all of my communication could be done with my voice yeah. in the game. Uh, that's a penalty, contact, closing the gap. Great. I, all 16 people on the pitch can hear that very, very yeah. quickly. But when you've got 20 games going on at the same time, and there's whistles all over the place and there's a crowd and there's mm. you know thousands of people on the, the for want of a better word, the campus mm. and playing. You need to be able to communicate with your whistle and with your body what it is. So thinking about things like live commentary, like commentary on the live stream. Mm. We even had this this week at Nationals. You know, there were a couple where... Um, a referee had blown a whistle for a penalty and Will Shepard on the commentary had said, that's a penalty. And he wasn't quite sure what it was for until then a hand signal came up and Will was able to say, oh, that's for closing the gap. Yeah, I can yeah. see that, that was for closing the gap. So yeah, it seems really, really basic, but I just had no idea about that stuff. And, and that's where I got um, often marked down in, in, mm. in my assessments there. So... When we came to 2018, three years later, I, I'd certainly thought about that a bit. And on league nights, you know, I was working on whistle tone and, and, and hand signals and making sure that they were good, even when they weren't necessarily required. Yeah. And I came to 2018 thinking, great, I'm top of the world. This is going to be fantastic. And, and, and even more so, I was selected to do the opening game. Yeah, I remember. And, um, and I remember walking somewhere near the coffee shop and Bill <laughs> Harrigan and Perry were there. Perry Haddock, who founded Oztag, and Bill Harrigan, who who um, was chair of the ITF at the time and ex-rugby league referee. And um, and they, they pointed at me and I think Bill said to Perry something like, that's the guy refing the first game. <laughs> and so I just thought, great, I'm, there must have been some selection panel room where they've already come together and thought he's fantastic. Now, in reality, I think they wanted to showcase or give an opportunity for someone from the Northern Hemisphere to, to referee the opening game. Anyway, I don't know whether you remember much about that opening game. Or I do remember because we were all there supporting you. <laughs> so we'd had the opening ceremony. Everyone was there. Uh, yeah. 2,000 people in the stands. It was on the live stream going, going back home. And those some people might remember it was a really fiery game it was a mixed open i think it was samoa against new zealand 
there was contact all over the shop. Like everyone was really fired up. And I gave, uh, I certainly sent someone to the sim bin in the first half. I think I gave three or four contact penalties. And I remember going over to the assessor at half time. And the assessor said, I said something like, you know, have you got anything? Is there anything I need to look at? Thinking I've got every single one of those calls absolutely spot on. All of them were contact. I'm really confident that they will be yeah. right. That was a really dangerous dive, quite rightly, in the sim bin. And to their credit, Gary, the assessor, didn't really give me any feedback. He just said very gently, just think about your proactive communication with the players and, and, and whether there's any warnings. Like, can you just give them a few more warnings if you think, think things are becoming a little bit too physical? So I just took that on. And he was good because he didn't overload me with information. Mm. But at the end of the game, I went over to Gary and we had a proper debrief. And he essentially said to me, look, I can't disagree with any of the calls that you made. They were all absolutely right. But what you need to work on is how did you let the game get to a place where there were that many contact penalties and you had to put two people in the sim bin? That's an indication and... that you have not controlled the players and managed the game sufficiently well to be able to and and you know it's different language yeah. that's yeah. used here that i know some people have a problem with i know some people don't like this idea of coaching players as a ref yeah but but i think it it demonstrates the idea well that you know actually if if you see a couple of players that are really fired up at the beginning of a game just going over to them and this was the advice that this guy gary gave to me he said just go and find your way Cross the line. If you need to get out to the second or third defender, just go and just stand next to them in the line during the game and just say, "Hey, mate, or listen, can you just can you just calm down the contact a little bit? I don't. I want to keep you on the pitch. Work with me." Yeah. And this was this, you know, this idea about soft comms that we might talk about later. So, you know, again, if I if in 2015 I'd learned all about um, basics and how you communicate with everyone around the pitch, what's mm. going on, and you're really clear and consistent with the other refs. 2018 the big wake-up call was how do you manage a game mm. and how do you manage teams and how are you how do you see yourself as part of a team of 17 or 19 mm. as opposed to my feeling before then which I think had been how do I spot all the rules that people have broken mm. you know that's like my job is to is to kind of spot when someone's closed a gap or to spot when a tag has been stepped on or to spot when a roll is off the mark and actually the big my big learning from 2018 which has come into how i you know prep this time has been around thinking how do i work with players mm. how do i communicate before the game during the game at halftime etc and yeah i guess that the final part of that which is particularly relevant to your, your question is or you can only do those things if you're in really good physical condition. And the kind of physical condition required as a referee and as a player is very different from everyday fitness. So since the 2018 World Cup, I've put a load of miles in my legs. I've done a couple of marathons mm. and I've you know, learned how to do 80 kilometer weeks completely different type of fitness and physicality Definitely. required for refereeing a tag game where you might need to do 
eight to 10, 70 meter sprints in a game and recover really quickly and not just recover physically, but recover physically to the extent that you can then make good mental decisions <laughs> and communicate under pressure. So when you're blowing, can you get into a good position to be able to make the right call? And so this has been actually the first World Cup where I've put together a considered training plan that is specifically trying to get myself in shape to referee mm. tag rugby at the highest level rather than just having some natural fitness which you know I, I would find by day three you try to kind of get to finals of a tag world cup and you're pretty knackered because you, mm. you haven't got um the, the right kind of fitness the right kind of endurance exactly yeah definitely it's so important it applies 100 to the players as well because there's a lot of getting up and down even as a ref i assume like you know, getting yourself up and focused for a match and then chilling and then getting up for the next one and stuff. It's the same kind of concept for the players and and the refs, I, I suppose, as well, uh, for sure. So I think that's really uh, good to hear as well, especially as it gets faster and faster, <laughs> the game. I bet you're, um, it is pretty challenging at some uh, some points. I'm going to ask a few questions around the World Cup now. Um, is there any rule changes this year that weren't in the World Cup last year, for example? Um, I know that I know the rules are the rules, but is there any like slight changes to rules this year that uh, people might need to consider, etc.? I mean, there have been. So I suppose there's a couple of different ways of, of, of looking at that. There's the, what are rules that are new to GB tag or yeah. tri tag rugby uh, and what of the international rules have, have changed. And one of the things that um, the International Tag Federation and um, Dave Shipley has, has been the um, representative from GB on this have done is they have for the first time really properly consolidated a global rule book for the game mm. so there used to be lots of you know oztag used to have different rules to tri tag which used to have different rules to kiwi tag and sa tag and itra and so on mm. and one of the things that i think people have been wanting for years and years and years is some consistency across the the, the different countries so that when elite players come to a world cup they're not suddenly having to learn a, a whole new rule book and i'm sure that you remember that from 2018 Definitely. where you'd be playing at super league and even the team that kicked off would be different you know from what it was at a world cup sometimes and yeah. there'd be different rules around kicking and and, and all this sort of stuff so th that, that that's the first thing that i think has been really good is that for players the rules that you're playing to at a Super League or at a A League are generally speaking the same rules that you're, you know, going to be playing to at the World Cup, which is a huge mm. move forward. Um, and that means practically for GB and Ireland players, you know, that means that we now have diving in our game. Yeah. Um, it means that we have 50 tens in our game. It means that we have um, the plane from kickoffs, you know, rather than the ball needing to bounce dead if the ball just goes over the try line. Uh, in the air then it, it's dead so you know those kind of things are now part and parcel of the the daily league tag which is great and then and i guess i can talk about a couple of specific rules but i think probably the gesture that i would have noticed is that there's been a real intention from the international tag federation to uh introduce rules which 
it's somewhere between speeding up and making play more continuous. Mm. And so if I, I give you two two examples. So one is um a new a new rule whereby if there is a late tag or a pre-tag uh, off a kick or a pass and the ball is um moved forward sometimes you might remember you could go 20 meters down the pitch yeah and then the referee would blow a whistle and you've all got to march back 20 meters and it's like yeah. well actually we were in a really good position there and we had quick ball and the defensive line was coming back yeah that's really annoying to stop. So one of the brilliant rules they've introduced is that that is now a tag zero where they're tagged. So okay. it's just an immediate, immediate repeat set. So there's a late tag mm. advantage. The ball goes forward 20 meters. Grace then gets tagged 20 meters down the pitch. The referee can call tag zero. They can still go back for the advantage if they if they feel like it's, it's you know, appropriate. Yeah. If you were to knock on 20 meters down the pitch, then you go back for the, the, the mm. penalty. Um. So I think that's, a good example and, and that's because they don't want to have to constantly stop start you know they want mm. the game to continue flowing so that's that's one example within this idea of kind of making the game more continuous the second is to try and penalize teams that just aimlessly kick the ball away to essentially just get some territory and get their breath back so one of the things that you might recognize used to happen is you know you'd get the ball you'd be on halfway and you just go like sod it I'm just going to hoof this ball as hard as I can off the back of the field. They then have a tap 10 metres from their line and we can reset and go. The way in which they've commented that is to say that's now you now get the the, the team who now gets the ball gets an additional tag. So they now have a, a set of seven oh, rather okay. than a set of six, which is just a, it's a good little introduction, which means that you are not rewarded for just kicking the ball aimlessly off the field absolutely go for that 50 10 but again maybe it's i guess the hope is that it promotes <laughs> maybe some of those shorter kicks in behind the defensive line which are really exciting in the yeah. game uh and obviously you know some of that that skill set and also players maybe just going for it in the wide channels on on, on fifth and last so, so those those are two yeah. two examples I, i'd say can i just ask a question around that um answer uh that rule is um so if the player is intentionally trying to go for the 50 10 and doesn't get it do they still have the other team still gets a another like seven tags as such or if if the ball goes dead off the try line so if it oh, goes okay off, off the track if yeah. they're going for a 50 10 and they don't quite get like, enough on it. it and it goes out 12 meters from the try line that's still a set of six that's just okay gotcha oh cool i didn't actually know that well there you go learn something new <laughs> good to know um i think that's actually really helpful and i think people um will appreciate that um and obviously hearing about the ita trying to try and make the game as smooth and and uh, continuous as possible i think that always makes sport more exciting doesn't it mm. um so what's the general advice that you would give people refing the World Cup this year? I'd probably say the overarching thing I would say is you... The, the global, the, the quality of refereeing globally at the moment is so much better than it was mm. five years ago, so much better than it was eight years ago. 
So the very fact that you are going to the World Cup means that you are doing something really well. Yeah. So I think the first thing to say is like, don't change anything drastically. Mm. Um, because if you're going, it's because you've been identified as a, as a really top quality ref. There are some very, very, very good refs mm-hmm. from Australia, GB and Ireland um, who are not going to the World Cup. So if, if you're going to the World Cup, you're doing something right. And I think just continue doing what you're doing. Yeah. I think the second thing I would say is don't underestimate the physical toll that three days of refereeing at the very, very top level has. Every game is quick. Mm. Every game you're going to run an extra half a K, K than you normally would on a league night. And But also, unlike a one-day tournament that we have like Nationals on Saturday where you've maybe got 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off, 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off, you get some really big breaks, you know, because these tournaments are so big. I'm, I think this will be the same in Ireland, talking to, to Alton Ryan this, this week. And, you know, first game will probably be at nine o'clock in the morning. Last game will probably be about 8.30, 9 o'clock in the evening. And you might do three games, maybe four in a day. So you've probably got a couple of hours off between the games. And I mean, this is your area of expertise yeah. where I should probably ask you what your advice is <laughs> to refs here. But, but recovery between games is so so important you know i long gone are the days when age 21 i didn't really feel like i needed to do a warm-up or a warm down and stretch but you know those things i think are are really really important um so i think those you know those are probably the, the the two main things like keep doing what you're doing um and and don't underestimate the importance of recovery between games and and perhaps I don't know I mean what would your advice particularly yeah. for that sort of thing well what would your I, advice be I think I I would apply the same kind of structure that I would give to my athletes that are competing in competitions where they're doing numerous like saying you know having to get up and down you know in between up for games down in between and then up again so it'll be that that will fatigue you even as a ref so I'd probably apply the same thing so it's a lot about fueling um and you know if it's a hot sunny day don't just lie out in the sun (laughs) for two hours in between your games because that will drain you as well and affect your concentration hydration super important I can share some stuff with you for sure we can uh share I'm sure I've done a podcast on it as well (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah definitely I would probably apply similar kind of um rules not rules but um to what i would do with people that are competing as athletes Mm. as well as rest because like you say it's a lot more physical Uh, and like you say i think it's good that you focused on the endurance side of things because it is a long three days and the endurance will is what will be key for the for the duration of the three days and refueling Mm. at the end of the day so that you're topped up for the next day etc so I think it would be pretty similar to an athlete just slight different variations in terms of amounts of carbs and stuff probably Mm. I think that the the, the final thing I would I would probably add you know the the third thing which I think probably applies to players as well is Mm. I you know if you think about a kind of like line of progression and development that that anyone you know Mm. has if you think about how much you're improving as a player or a ref you know, league night to league night. There's a little bit, you know, you might get, you, you might be 10% better now than you were three months ago, let's say. Yeah. And I think that's probably how my ref journey went between World Cups. I was kind of getting like 10% better every six months. 
I reckon my improvement over three days at a World Cup, I probably improved as much in three days at a World Cup as I did in three years leading up to it. And I think the biggest reason for that was being exposed to other elite referees and consistently watching them referee challenging games. So learning from uh, the Aussie guys, learning from the Kiwi guys, learning from the Irish guys about you know how they're looking at this, what they're doing, going and watching the games, talking about their games, asking them to come and watch my games. I mean, there's a mm. very, very, probably the most experienced tag referee ever, a guy called Scott McLeod, um, who at the end of the last World Cup received a jersey to recognize that he just refed 100 internationals. Oh, wow. um, and he was so generous. I roomed with him in 2018 and he was so generous in coming over to my games watching giving me feedback giving me tidbits so you know it is for some people i'm sure 2023 will be the pinnacle it's all that they ever want to do that's like you know mm. i'm going to do this and then i'm maybe going to step away from from refereeing at an international level i hope that's not the case mm. but if you have any aspiration to continue doing later this is the greatest learning experience opportunity that that you have and i'm sure it's the same for players going and watching yeah. other players and, and other teams because you're never going to have this intensity and um extraordinarily extraordinary kind of um consolidation of talent from which you can learn and, and, and talk mm. on over a period of time so i think yeah they'd be the the, the, th the three things you know keep doing what you're doing don't underestimate the fitness and yeah, yeah as a huge learning opportunity excellent um and then the other next question that i was going to go on to was what what advice would you give to people wanting to try def uh, refing or wanting to get into refing probably quite different um <laughs> i think at the beginning the thing that almost every player wants as a you know there's almost a kind of like hierarchy of needs mm. that, that, that players and spectators and everyone has in tag you know and and some of the stuff that we've talked about about um you know soft communication and managing games and talking people out of penalties and so on that's that's mm. kind of right up at the top you know the basic need that everyone has is to feel like you know the rules <laughs> and so really spending time on them uh i still before nationals on on saturday uh, you know i took the overground and i spent 45 minutes just rereading the rule book and making a couple of notes just to remind myself of a couple mm. of things um that had come up recently i i it sounds nerdy and geeky and a bit sad, but you know, if you're not getting the rules right, you are you're not showing up with your your kind of you know your base requirement as a as a, as a referee. Mm. Um, but I guess even before that, you know, if you're interested in getting involved, um, I would. Uh, there's lots of different pathways that that you can that you can get into. So. Um, Tag Rugby do a number of workshops, a number mm. of beginner workshops. They're all over the place. There's lots of details on the website. Um, yeah. Try Tag Rugby and a lot of stuff on on Facebook. Like, get yourself down to uh, a workshop. Um, if you like it, the guys are really really good at quickly getting you into a a beginner game that you can go and you can see how you feel and see how you how you like. Don't take things personally. People will disagree <laughs> with your your decisions and they'll chat back <laughs> to you. Um, don't take it personally it's it's not you it's probably them yeah and um and if you get through your first five ten games and you're finding that you're enjoying it and it's challenging you 
then there's lots and lots of opportunities for for progression. You know, Alex Davies, who's one of our top refs in GB, only started refing two years ago, I think, and is now going to the World Cup two years later. So if it is something that you like and you care about and you enjoy, you know, the, the pathway to elite level is 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 available. Awesome. And then I think um, this travels on from one of the questions that I got um, from uh, well, one of the questions I got on Instagram was best tips for a new tag ref. I think that's helpful. Um, and uh, one of the other questions was, did becoming a ref make you a better player? Did you find? Or help your game, maybe? So, I suppose, yeah, aside, aside from, you know, knowing little bits and pieces where the line is and where the line isn't mm. in terms of the rules, there's some help there. But I think refing has made me a better player only because, I, as I say, like I get the best seat in the house at Super mm. League every Thursday evening. And... So I'm watching what the best players are doing. You know, I'm mm. watching, you know, when you grace score a try in the corner, I'm I'm watching, you know, how have you held your line? What line have you run? How have you communicated? I mean, a lot of it is about communication, I think, at the very top level. Mm. Um, so I'm watching that. If you've created space at some point or someone in the middle, you know, has, has, has done something. You know, it's, I have certain limitations as a player. You know, I'm not going to be the quickest. I'm not going to be the most skillful. But there mm. are things that I really admire from a number of players who just make great decisions and communicate great decisions really really well and help bring their team along and I think observing how foundational that is to a good tag team has enabled me to bring that into you know my play with with our men's team um mm. where I, I I hope I don't know I hope I'm, I hope I'm a better player now than I was <laughs> eight, eight years ago I feel like um, the feedback I've had from other people that are like player refs is that understanding the game more helps their decision-making maybe like, so probably more so for like a middle player that is, um, mm. you know, having to look and see what's going on. I mean, all positions have that aspect, but there's as a middle is like, right. Seeing ahead of, of uh, the plays of what what's going on what's in front and how to mm. kind of adjust and just knowing like the rules and playing like you say playing playing the rules to the limit so that you can get a good performance is quite probably useful in that sense I still definitely don't know all the rules <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think being a ref will probably help um, so one of the I did get a question from someone and uh it's quite I think it's a bit more interesting a bit more juicy and it's all about what is the hardest thing that you've had to deal with refing or what's like the worst call that you've had to make or where it's just been just a bloody nightmare because I know it's not easy for you refs oh um if there's anything that stands out doesn't have to be any one particular or anything particular but like something that maybe reoccurs as well I, I was actually having you know I was having a conversation with um Ollie Greenhill about this last night oh yeah so there are a few you know we, we would we'd both been reviewing a couple of clips from from nationals and the contact is 
by far and away, I, I think the hardest thing to to officiate because the margins are so tight and now the players you know we have a fantastic gb elite program in terms of tag so the players really understand the rules they understand you know the where the onus is on the attacker where the onus is on the defender and it's sometimes it isn't i mean we were talking about it before we started mm. recording you know there were a couple of calls from the women's final that yeah. i made on on saturday where i'm sure that there are other refs who will look back at that game on the live stream and go, mm, no, I actually think that was a penalty against the attacker, where I, in both instances, I've called um, penalty for for closing the gap against the defender because I felt like the defender has stepped in, yeah. just ever so slightly stepped into space that mm. wasn't there. So uh, th those things, I think, are the ones, if you really want to replay stuff in your mind, they're the ones that I, I, I more often than not think, God, actually, that could have gone the other way. And, mm. and one of the things that is really really challenging in terms of calls again within contact are when you see a smaller player who has stepped into the line of the runner and they've been flattened and they're on the floor and they're the ones that's come worst off in the contact but you feel that actually okay. they're the ones who've stepped into the space and issued the contact that's, yeah. that's a really, really hard thing to get right. And you have to be really, and you know, coming back earlier to talking about being empathetic, mm. you have to be really careful about how you communicate that with the player because they're probably mm. going to be upset. They're probably going to be expecting that they're going to get the call. Yeah. They're the ones on the floor. Yeah. So just to be able true. to, you know, to be able to very kind of kindly say, you know, I, I, I'm, first of all, are you okay? yeah you know, do you need to get some ice or anything like that now i know that you might not be happy with this decision but from where i'm standing mm. the attacker has had the line and you've stepped into their space and i know that you've been the one who's borne the brunt of that contact but mm. i do feel from my position that you you're the one who's initiated that contact so i'm afraid the penalty has gone against you yeah keep it that... nice and calm step away yeah i suppose that is really hard and it it's probably harder actually in a mixed game when you have maybe a male contact to female or a female has stepped in and said their ground and then gets flattened. I bet that's pretty tricky. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's that's really that's really tricky. Um, you know, I mean, this this, this uh, it came up in a Super League game the other day where I had a very different interpretation to one of the teams in terms of that closing the gap in, in defence. Mm. And and then uh, you know, I suppose the other ones. I mean, the the, the most. You know, there's been a couple of memorable ones wearing kind of high, and this is about my evolution as a ref, mm. you know, when I reflect on this. You know, I remember there was a final, uh, I think it was a sp spring or autumn tournament uh, a number of years ago where I simbined a very high-profile player in the last two minutes of the game. Yeah. Um, and they and they lost. And I simbined them. I sent them off for basically for, for chat. Uh, you know, I, I felt that they had accused me of being biased as a ref yeah uh, and i sent them off and at the time i thought i'd done absolutely the right thing mm. and i think this is one of those examples where this probably was before 2018 and yeah. if i if i'd had all that feedback from the 2018 world cup about managing players this was not the first time that this player had given me lip during the game you know it was yeah. a tight game yeah. a team that were used to winning and they were losing yeah. and and they were getting very very frustrated 
And actually, I could tell five minutes earlier that it was starting to boil up. Mm. And actually, if at that moment I had gone over to that player, tried to work with them and say, hey, mate, I know you're right on the line. Please work with me. I'm going to give you the call if it's the right call. Mm. It might never have got to the place where they said, referee's giving everything against us. He's given everything against us all day. He doesn't want us to win. And at that mm. moment, I'm like, I'm sorry, you've, you've got to go off. So he, he, I felt that was a bit of when I look back on it, there was a bit of me bringing my ego onto the pitch there. Mm. And actually I could have done a much better job because I remember feeling bad in that moment. It was a big game. I had to send them off. Mm. I don't think it cost them the final, but it certainly yeah. probably cost them any chance of coming back in the last yeah. minute. I think though, with those kind of decisions, it's like you only know what you know. So if you didn't, you hadn't gone through the experience of 2018 and learned that. So you only know what you know. So you only can do what you can do from what you know if that makes mm -hmm. sense I think it I managed to actually thing. say that <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> I say that with coaching uh, people with you only do what you know so it's hard to do but yeah it's not it's good that you can reflect and like see oh this is where I could have worked on and now you've built that skill set now which is awesome mm -hmm. um what um I, I've asked this question, but you don't have to answer it because <laughs> I don't want anyone to get offended. But it's, which is the hardest category to ref? Would it be men's, women's, uh, mixed? Or is there not really, were they all too different to kind of really compare? I, I would probably say that it's more that they're different than that they're more difficult. You know, there mm. are... You know, if I give you a kind of brief summary of the, the particular challenges in mm -hmm. each of them, you know, mixed, you've you've actually kind of covered a little bit with your comments. You know, th there are often really, really big physical mismatches and you need to be aware of that. But you also have some of, if not the most skillful players in the game. So you really want to, you want the game to be as open as you can. Mm. But you also don't want it to be so fast and so direct that you're putting players that have, you know, and, and this uh, uh, this isn't a gender or a sex thing. You know, this yeah. is also the same would apply if you had two physically mis mismatched men's team or two physically mismatched women's teams. The, the, yeah. the reality is that you're more likely to get that physical mismatch in in a mixed game. So yeah. you know, you you got to be got to be careful there. Um, and you've got to strike the right balance between letting everyone be able to express themselves and play, but also keeping the game as safe as, as possible mm. because the risk of uh, bad contact is, is greater. Mm. I think in the men's, it's very, very quick and it, and it is a little bit more physical. And the challenge in a men's game is how much physicality do you allow? Yeah. Because... And again, it's not limited to no, you know, no. I've been in some women's <laughs> games that have been more physical and that have had more contact than men's games. But as a general rule, yeah. you know, I think there's a bit more bump and grind in, in, in a men's game. So if you, you know, if you call every single bit of contact in a men's game, it's not it, going to be fun for anyone. Yeah. So you've got to be really, really, but, but, but equally, if you just let a little bit go, Mm. and you don't police it all of a sudden you find yourself in a position like the beginning of the ITS last year where I think 
in the first game between GB and Ireland men's open, I think there were five yellow cards and a red card, you know, many of them <laughs> for contact. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and I don't think that those cards were early in the game. I think it's because the ref genuinely was trying to let it be nice and open. Yeah. But all of a sudden you've got a situation where it is gone. I think that's yeah. that's kind of what happened in my opening game at the 2018 World, World yeah. Cup. And, and then finally, to come to the women's one, and I'm really glad to be talking about women's um, tag after the Nationals because I, I did the women's final at the GB Nationals on Saturday. And I was really struck at the end of the game because as I reflected on it, I don't think I've been involved in a game where the ball has been live as much as in that game. Mm. You know, in men's, there's more kicks to touch, there's more kicks for territory, there's more kicks off the back. You know, because the kicks aren't as long in the women's game and because there's probably, you know, in many ways, just as high a level of skill and you're running really, really good patterns, you get actually way more completed sets of six, mm. which means that you've got these really quick turnovers for changeover and you want, the, as a referee, you want to be on the other opposition defensive line as quickly as possible so the team that's just turned over the ball can play as quickly as possible. So it's, it, you know, you're not going to have the same kind of... 40 meter sprint as you might do in a men's game but actually mm. over the course of the game I covered as many K's as I did in any of the other games if not more just because the ball was consistently in play so yeah. I think it's, it's a different kind of thing yeah I actually reflected on that because I had a watch through obviously because it's my team <laughs> but it was like it was, I didn't even realize it it took something like 11 minutes before the first try was saying it was literally backward and forth back and forth for like most of the game um mm. so it was actually a good contest in terms of um like um i think it was a good sh showcase of some of the skills which is really good to see i thought it was a, I thought it was a, it was a great game and and you're, you you can really feel that as a ref you can feel wow this is really tight and i guess the the, the challenge there is also there's almost a little bit more pressure on you as a ref because you're aware that one decision could be the defining point of the game yeah um, and, you know, I think we saw that in BNI. I can't remember whether it was it the women's seniors category last year at BNI where there were four draws. Draws, yeah. And, four and, draws and one, and one win. Yeah, it's mad. That's obviously back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And so at that, you know, the, the teams are so well matched. You know, you, mm. you really have to. And, and, and that means you have to be able to step away from a decision and go, yeah, like, you know. I can't think about that. It's exactly the same as you guys all talk about as players, you know, next mm. job, you know, if someone makes a mistake, next job. You, you, one of the things, you know, that has been challenging as someone who grew up in a, you know, kind of competitive uh, public school, boarding school environment, you know, where you're supposed to get everything right and you need a hundred percent on your tests and everything. Coming to accept that I'm going to get stuff wrong yeah. or that I'm going to do things that maybe someone else might have a different interpretation of and just being able to forget about it and learn from it is is probably reflecting on that first question that you asked another one of the, the the challenges and and I think that is particularly acute in women's where it is often so tight awesome yeah no I think I totally agree it's uh, uh yeah it's really good to see anyway um so I think that is pretty much it um some of the questions that I got, I think we've covered them. So one of them was how important are soft comms when refereeing? We've kind of discussed that already. Um, how you kind of pretty much learned that from uh, from the 2018 World Cup. Um, someone's asked, how does prepping for a game differ to prepping to play a game? I think there's, it's the same, same, but different. <laughs> like we kind of managed. 
I just don't want to make sure. I want to make sure um, that I, I the, haven't the missed thing, anything. Yeah. The one thing I might add there, which is very difficult to do on league nights, but certainly in one day competitions and World Cups, you can do is one thing that I try to do in terms of preparing for a game now is going, making sure that I go to the teams beforehand and talk to them and mm. communicate both both communicate how I would like the game to go yeah but also give an opportunity before the game started for the players to flag anything that they are particularly concerned about want clarifying or anything like that and I find that so often if you can get that two minutes right before the game actually the game then becomes very very straightforward because if you call someone for closing the gap and you've said that you're going to be really hard on it before the game, they're much more accepting of the decision. Whereas if these decisions come out of nowhere, yeah. then that's when tempers start to... <laughs> start to rise. Um, yeah, I think we've covered all the questions that I got sent in. So I think that is a wrap, really. So uh, as I, I normally close off it on how how do people find you online? And if you've got any, like, so if they want to get in contact, I know your main page will be fanzo we didn't really get to talk much about that so we might have to get you back on <laughs> we had too much tag chat <laughs> um so yeah what are your instagram handles or comms that if anyone wanted to ask you questions either through try tag or what have you and i can add them to the copy sure uh yeah so i think i think my instagram is at dom collingwood <laughs> um, straightforward might get an influx um, most, most of my um most of my friends uh berate me for saying that my social media platform of choice is linkedin um so that is often <laughs> very useful to, platform to get to me dominic collingwood co-founder at fanzo on linkedin um and then yeah if you're interested in fanzo and you want to watch live sport with friends in pubs bars restaurants around the world um then fanzo.com um we're available in GB, Ireland, France, Germany, um, Australia. Um, so awesome. it's now, yeah, the, uh, the empire grows. Excellent. That sounds awesome. I'll definitely have to get you on and explore that a bit more for sure. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on and I'm sure our listeners will find this very useful. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Grace. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to the GB Sports Performance Podcast with me, Grace Brown. If you have any questions for me or my guest, please drop me a message at Grace Brown Fitness on Instagram. Thank you.